we're talking, we're doing a series. We did confidence in my salvation. Now we're looking at building on my salvation. Some things that we do after the salvation experience that are uh, uh, connected yet disconnected from our salvation. Uh, this is about maturity. So once I'm saved, there's some maturity issues that the scripture challenges me in um, that I need to work on. So last week, uh, we, we, we've been looking at spiritual maturity, um, these things that we build ourselves up in while uh, we are in Christ after the initial salvation experience. So we did talk that our salvation may be settled, but you and I in our walk with God should never become settled. We can have confidence in our salvation, but I'm not satisfied with simply salvation. I want everything I can have in Jesus Christ. He has come to give you life, salvation, and life more abundant. Okay? And we talked about the rich young ruler a little bit, how he came to Jesus and said, what, what do I need to do to be saved? He said, follow all the laws and commandments. And he said, I've done that. And Jesus said, okay. He said, if you want to be perfect, here's some other things you can do. So we're not talking about salvation now. We're talking about striving for perfection. We're striving to reach the image of Christ. And we, let, we do that by allowing the Holy Ghost to lead us, to guide us, and uh, do something more than a new birth experience. So last week, we talked about having our minds transformed. So we read various scriptures, and, and Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he says, I write to you as carnal. So there's people in the church he's writing to that are carnal. They haven't had their mind transformed. So that means you can have a, not, not a sinful mindset, but a carnal mindset, where you can be desiring not sinful things, but things that are maybe not uh, uh, part of maturing in Jesus Christ. So I can be thinking about work. That's not sinful. I can have my focus in, in my education, my career, various things, which is not sim- simple, and yet, I don't know if that's necessarily having my mind transformed because that's what everyone else in the world is doing. So we talked about having our minds transformed. We talked about a few, a few uh, things that should affect our mindset and that help us transform our mind. And the first is my salvation. We talked about the helmet of, of salvation. I should filter all my thoughts and decisions through the salvation experience in that this is what he's done for me. I, transfer, I put my thoughts and my decisions through that filter. Here's how I'm going to respond because of what he's done for me. Because he showed me grace, because he showed me love. Now, because of that, I'm going to, I'm going to tra- transform my mind and how I think and how I respond to others, how I treat others, what I focus on. We also looked at what our minds should dwell upon. We mentioned this already with testimonies. It gives me something to dwell upon. That's why your story is so important for me to hear. Don't just sit there and, 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 and have something that God's done in your life and keep quiet because I need my mind to dwell on that. It helps my mind to transform uh, throughout the week everything <clears throat> that I've heard, everything I've gone through. I need something good and pure and honest to, to dwell upon. <clears throat> and then we looked at having a unity of mind within the body of Christ. And he's ahead. He says, I want you to be all of one mind. That's pretty difficult unless our minds are transformed because you're probably not thinking the same thing I'm thinking right now. Because you're looking at me and I'm looking at you. Uh, we're thinking all kinds of stuff. But I'm supposed to have, we're supposed to have the same mind. And we know the mind that we're supposed to have is the mind of Christ. That does not come automatically. That does not come naturally. Even though at the point of salvation when you got up from the altar, you thought everything was wonderful and great. The next morning you woke up and you probably didn't have the mind of Christ. You were probably thinking other things. That's a constant transformation we need. Uh, working together in unity. <clears throat> And then the last thing we did was we looked at the example that Christ gave us in Philippians. And he says, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. So we have this example. And we saw his mindset. He was willing uh, to take on flesh 
and all that it entails and come down to it. He was willing to humble himself, make himself of no reputation. He was willing to become a servant. He was willing to be obedient even to the death of the cross. So it hurt him greatly. He, that was the mind that Jesus Christ had. And so we ended with the question, and he says, let this mind be in you. And then he says, here's the example of Jesus Christ. Then he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean that you decide the new birth experience for yourself. Well, if I eat jello and then some Frito corn chips and then I do a two-step, I'm saved. That's my three-step new birth experience. No, that's not what he means. He's saying in your maturity after that, work out your own salvation. He doesn't say this is what you have to do. He says, here's the example of Jesus. You figure it out. Isn't that the worst? I would rather him say, here's what you have to do. But instead, you have to pray about it, think about it, and say, Lord, what do I need to do to become more like you? So we ended the question last week. We ended with the question, not has my mind been transformed? Because I would hope that at some point, especially in your salvation experience, your mind was transformed. That you no longer think like you used to after you went through a new birth experience. That should have happened. So it's not, has your mind been transformed? I would pray that if you've lived for God at any length of time, that it has been transformed. But the question is, since this is my mind is to continually be transformed until I'm like him, when was the last time your mind was transformed? When was the last time that your way of thinking, your opinions, your thoughts, this is how I do life, this is how I do church, this is how I do whatever, this is how I operate, when was the last time that was challenged? And you know what the amazing thing is, this is crazy, is uh, because as I was saying that, I'm thinking in my mind, when was the last time my mind was radically changed? Like, this is the way I used to think, and I now think this way. That's easy with sin and salvation, but in my walk with God. And you know what? This week, this week, I was pretty severely challenged. You may hear some about it next week in an area of my life, because I have to keep transforming. My mindset has to change. I may, some things that I've always thought this way, I may have to start thinking different about. All right, anyway, so this week we're going to look at another aspect of maturity, <clears throat> something that we build upon our salvation experience, and this week we're going to look at growing in grace. Transformed mind, growing in grace. This is an issue of maturity. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. <clears throat> and let the church say amen. There we go. Peter gives us this uh, admonition to the, to the churches that we should grow in grace. Now, as we say that phrase, uh, uh, hopefully you'll understand why that gets a little confusing, what that means here. Uh, because it's like, yeah, grow in grace and all, yeah, okay. But that's kind of confusing. We understand what grace is. We understand that it, it, it's God's undeserved favor or blessing towards you and I. We know that it's something that we have received unmerited, it, that, meaning that there was nothing within myself that, that would command or demand that God do something for me. The salvation experience is based upon grace. There's nothing that I did that deserved his salvation. There is nothing that I can do to deserve his salvation, and yet he gives it to me. Grace is unmerited, undeserved, and yet he does it for me anyway. You know what? He doesn't have to heal me. Just think about, this is, this is how amazing grace is. Someone should write a song about that. This is how amazing it is, is that how many have ever heard someone said, if he just saved me, that would have been enough? Until you get sick. No, I'm joking. 
Am I right? Here's how amazing grace is, is that is a true statement. It would have been enough if he just saved you, and then you had to suffer and go through everything just like everyone else did. But in his grace, he could have left it there, but he'll still heal you, he'll still deliver you, he'll still make a way, and that's all his grace, all of that. Every time he works a miracle in my life, that's simply because of his grace. Because I didn't do anything to deserve it. In fact, a lot of, well, we won't get into all the stupid mistakes I make that his grace gets me out of. But it's unmerited, undeserving. But Peter tells us to keep on growing in this grace, this unmerited favor of God. How do I grow in something that I don't deserve? You see, it's just neat growing grace and all. How, how do I grow in grace? How do I get more of what I don't deserve? Because I can't, I don't deserve it. I can't ask God for it because I don't deserve it. He just gives it to me. Okay, so it, th this means that growing in grace, just like transforming my mind, is a perpetual state that will only be achieved, the end will only be achieved when I get to heaven. I will never achieve full grace until that point. There is no end to the amount that I can grow in grace. So I never should stop growing in grace. As long as I want to grow, there will be more grace to grow into. Okay? Now, we should note at this point that grace does not grow. Okay? This is important. Because you can't get more grace in your life. Because there's no greater grace than he's already given you in your life. By saving you. The greatest grace was already given. So his grace does not grow or lessen. There's not... Just like his love for you does not get any more. If, if you win a thousand souls, and if you don't care about God, he does not love you more or less. He, he died for the world while they were yet sinners. There is no more grace for the person that's in church or out of church, or is doing a bunch for God, or is sitting on a pew. His grace remains the same. The issue is, is whether I am growing in his grace. Okay, that's important for us to understand. So, uh, Paul, Paul gives us the opposite of growing in grace. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So that's what Jesus did. That's my response. Because he died for me, I crucified myself. I don't live according to my own desires. I live by faith in him. He gave himself for me, and here it is. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now, you can't get rid of God's grace. Okay? He's not going to withdraw his grace from you. We understand that there's a point in time in history when that will happen, but it is not now. There is grace for whosoever will. However, so this is not a salvation issue. Okay? Because it's not like he'll withdraw your grace. That means you you would have to owe for your salvation. How many of you think you could pay off salvation in your life? No, you can't. Grace does that. And as long as I'm in his grace, I don't owe anything for it. So that's finished. This is not a salvation issue. However, in my walk with God, I've received grace. It covers my sin. Now, I owed a debt I could not pay, but now I stand whole before him. I stand, I can walk into his presence. However, I can frustrate his grace. How many of you ever been frustrated before? <laughs> How many of you get frustrated with your kids? And you think, man, 
If I had an inheritance, they wouldn't get it at this point. No. Your kids can frustrate you, yet it doesn't change your love and your grace. You're just really frustrated. We won't say mad or angry or sin not. not. We're just frustrated. That's the polite way of saying it. We're frustrated. In the same way, it's not my salvation that's in question. God's not thinking, man, I'm just, I'm taking my, they're not going to be saved anymore. But I can frustrate his grace. This is the opposite of growing in grace. Obviously, if I'm growing, I'm not frustrating him. But I can disesteem, and that word frustrate means disesteem, neutralize, or violate his grace. Even while I may be frustrating it, though, he's still giving it. Okay, so this is important for us to understand all, all of this here. It's important for us to look also at how grace operates in our daily lives. It's interesting that the first 25 times that grace is mentioned in the Bible... It's in reference to finding grace in the Old Testament. We find people in the Old Testament were continually looking for God's grace. They were continually searching for God's grace. They had to find it in their lives. Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10, this is a prophecy. And it says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. That spirit of grace is prophetically speaking of one thing, the Holy Ghost. Now, you need to understand about this Holy Ghost thing and that for hundreds, thousands of years, people sought God's grace. They looked for his... Abraham looked for God's grace. The father of the faithful had to search for God's grace. And you sit here today, if you have the Holy Ghost and there is no searching, there is no seeking, you are simply in God's grace because you have the Holy Ghost. That's an amazing thing. Something that that people that I look up to in scripture that I hold in high esteem, they still had to search for. That's why in Hebrews chapter 11, it says they didn't receive the promise. The promise speaks of the Holy Ghost. And so I sit here today fully engulfed, fully embraced in the grace of God. That's amazing. Because Abraham couldn't, he, saw, he had to search for it. And yet I wake up and I've got it. Anyway. So just by having the Holy Ghost, it, it used to be that grace was this external thing that was sought. Now it's internal and grace dwells in me. So just by having the Holy Ghost, I have the spirit of grace dwelling in us. And because of that, because I have the Holy Ghost, grace should affect me daily. I should be able to walk in grace daily. So the question is, knowing what grace is, undeserved favor, knowing that I received grace in a new birth experience and grace now dwells in me, I don't have to search for it, I don't have to seek for it. Knowing that I can frustrate the grace of God, it doesn't affect my salvation, but it does affect my maturity in Jesus Christ. Knowing all that and that the Holy Ghost is His manifest grace and knowing that His grace doesn't get any more, how do I grow in grace? How do I do that? What does that mean? I don't know. Let's just, no, I'm joking. Paul gives us, there's three things we're going to look at here real quickly. You guys held me up again. Paul gives us some insight as he writes to the Corinthian church. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8, speak, Lord. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. We learn from this passage that I can grow in grace through my weaknesses. Grace through my weakness. 
Grace grows as I discover and acknowledge my weaknesses. When I see what I'm deficient in, I realize that I need His grace. God states that His grace is enough or sufficient for me. But when I begin to recognize my weakness and say, Lord, help me in this area, that opens the door for me to walk into more of God's grace. It's not that He has more grace. It's that I've opened the door where His grace can come into different parts of my life. In my weaknesses, He makes me strong because His grace is sufficient. It it doesn't increase my grace, but it increases my understanding of how much grace I actually need. His strength is made perfect. Here's this word, and it just keeps coming up. Teleos, it's made perfect. That his strength has a goal in my life to make me strong, to help me make it through situations. And his grace, he's made perfect through my weaknesses, his strength is. His strength can only attain its true perfection. His strength that I pray for in a lot of situations can only come to fruition, the perfect fruition of it, when I acknowledge my weaknesses. As long as I say I'm strong, his strength can't do the job that it wants to do. So what does that mean practically in my life? Lord, I'm in this desperate situation. It's horrible. I need your strength. I need your strength to make it through. And I get up from praying and then go write a list of how I can get out of this situation. I've just taken his strength and turned it to my strength. I'm not growing in grace. Because when I admit my weaknesses and leave my weaknesses at his door and say, Lord, I'm weak in this aspect. I cannot do this in and of myself. Then his strength can work in my life. Then I can grow in his grace. Also with our understanding, oh, sorry, with our understanding of our weaknesses, there should come a humility. You know, it's difficult to admit when we're weak sometimes. It's difficult. It's humbling to admit that we can't do something. I mean, for me it is anyway. (laughs) Uh, Who's it? We were talking about home repairs the other day. Something, and it's it's a failure when you have to ask for someone to come help. (laughs) Even though you have no clue what you're doing, you'd rather muddle through it. I don't know if that's a man thing or if that's just a human thing. I don't know. I've never been a woman, so I can't speak to that. Well, that just threw me all... This, this was on the news the other day. This, you, this is why we need testimonies, because this is the kind of stuff we hear throughout the week. There is a, a, a boy who's now 14 or 15, uh, and th- they did a, a special on him transforming to a girl. And for his 14th birthday, they gave him the growth hormone shots. Okay, so they followed that. So it's a mom and a dad, four sisters, and a brother who's becoming a girl. Now the follow-up story is, so we've got a son who's a daughter now, is the mom wants to be a man. So a mother-son is now a father-daughter. And the husband's staying with them. So now it's five kids, five girls, two dads. It used to be a mother, father, four girls, and a son. I need your testimony. I need something pure to think about. That's messed up. Anyway, what was I, where is that? See that anywhere. (laughs) I think I was talking about humility, not about hormones. (laughs) It's humbling, though, for us to admit that we can't do something, especially when we should be able to do it. Uh, Honestly, uh, 
well, no, I won't be honest. I'll just keep, okay. 1 Corinthians chapter, I'll just read the Bible to you instead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. So there should be a humility that comes in our life as grace comes into our life, as we understand I can't do this on my own, I've got to have the Lord helping me, then a humility comes with that. We, there's plenty of verses throughout Scripture that say humble yourself, that talk about making yourself humble. That doesn't mean walking around on your hands and knees, okay? But there is a challenge to you and I that it's not just the Lord who humbles us, but we are to humble ourselves. How do I humble myself? Lord, I'm weak. I can't do this on my own. I need you. That's how I can begin to humble myself. And Paul says, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm the least of all of them. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle because of what I've done. But he understands that despite what he's done, his grace made up the difference in his life. Now, we understand in our past that His grace makes up the difference of all of our faults and failings and what we did before, and His grace can cover that. He states, in fact, that the only reason He is what He is today is because of the grace of God. How many of you know that? That the only reason you sit here today and you're still in your right mind is because of the grace of God. You know what? That humbles me. It humbles it humbles me enough in this way that I can walk in a place that, that is full of people and I can lift my hands to him that might look dumb and stupid somewhere else, but in the presence of God, because I acknowledge his grace, I can lift my hands. I can clap my hands. I can worship him. His grace allows me to worship. And he states in the next phrase that he says, it was not, it, it, that the grace which he bestowed upon me was not in vain. He says he didn't waste the grace given to him. I don't know if we're going to get past point one today. He said he did not waste the grace that God had given him. Now that's frustrating, the grace of God. That God gave me grace. What am I doing with the grace? When I said, Lord, I'm weak, I can't do this. And he said, here's the strength to do it. And then I don't do it. Man. Now, we can talk about ministries, we can talk about addictions, we can talk about sins, we can talk about all kinds of stuff. I just can't get over whatever. Lord, I need your help. He gives you the grace, and then I keep frustrating the grace of God. It's in vain. He gave me grace because I'm not willing to get over, to be better, to do. That challenges me. How much grace have I wasted in my life? And the amazing thing is about his grace is despite how much I waste, he's still got it. So that's the good news. The challenge is, is are you wasting it? The good news is if you have wasted it, he'll give you more. I wouldn't, but he does. <laughs> you wouldn't either. <laughs> he had received so much grace that he attempted to use that grace, and he used grace as a motivation to work for God. There's a lot of ways and reasons that we can motivate ourselves to come to church, to do whatever, to work for the Lord. But Paul says his grace was the motivation in my life. I wonder what would change in my life if suddenly the only reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is because of his grace. I'm a debtor to grace, Scripture says. I owe grace so much in my life. But it's the next couple of phrases that are really interesting in this verse because there's plenty of people, we all know that but by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
And I know that sometimes I've used his grace in vain. And I, I don't want to, but I know that I have in my life. But it's these next couple of phrases. He says that because of grace shown to him, he labored or worked harder than everyone else. That sounds real Christian right there. Because of the grace of God in my life, because he's done so much for me. You don't know like I know what he's done for you. All that stuff. We need some old, no. We need to take, go to the old paths. Um. Now I can't think of what I was saying. Because of the grace of God, be, Paul said, because I used to persecute Christians, because I was so horrible, I've worked so much harder now that I'm saved. It's interesting here, though, because that can be a, a motivation. Because he's done so much for me in all my weaknesses, my past was a weakness, these faults and failings were a weakness, and he gave me grace in all those weaknesses, made them, and, and now I'm strong through him. He says that, and that can be true in our lives. I'm going to do this because of what God's done for me. I'm, well, they, they made a call for, for a, a ministry development class. Because of his grace, I'm going to go to ministry development. They've got a call. They need someone to drive vans. Because of his grace, I'm going to, I'm going to do more because of his grace. Here's the thing, though. Here's where it gets really challenging. Because we are to keep growing in grace. So I find my weaknesses, and I say, Lord, I need your help in my weaknesses, and he gives me grace. Am I done growing? No. I keep growing. So where's the next step? He gives it to us in this verse. He's, <laughs> this, this is Paul's saying, because he's done so much for me, I'm going to work harder than everyone else. I'm going to do more because I was, I was the least. I was the worst. I was the, I was the lowest of lows, so I'm going to do more, be more. I'm going to do all that. Yet suddenly, it seems like Paul... Paul has, in that phrase, he has snatched the reins back because he says, for I am the least of all the apostles. It's, I'm nothing. He's everything. It's his grace. It's because of who of him. But I labored more abundantly. Suddenly, he pulls I back into it. In the middle of all that God has done for him, all the grace that, that God has given him, he steps back in and says, but I worked harder than everybody else. It sounds real Christian because it's based on grace, okay? But it's like he catches it and then states in the very last phrase, yet not I, yet not I. It's like he says, you show me so much grace, Lord. I'm going to do everything I can for you. I'm going to give everything to you. I'm going to work harder than anyone. And then he says, wait, hold on. It's not I. It's not I. Here's the next step. Because Paul, before he was a Christian, was a persistent, faithful, stubborn man. I mean, he was the chief, he was the best person at persecuting Christians. That's why he went through shipwrecks, stonings, all this kind of stuff, because it transferred. That's who he was before, persistent, stubborn, wasn't going to give up. You can shipwreck me, you can stone me, you can beat me, you can leave me for dead. I'm going to keep doing what God's called me to do. But here's the thing, here's the next step. In my weaknesses, he makes me strong. His grace is sufficient in my weaknesses. But suddenly Paul says, yet not I, yet not I, in the stuff that I was good at, yet not I, but the grace of God that was given to me. When I can suddenly recognize I need his grace for my strengths. He could work harder than everyone else before he became a Christian. So he said, I'm going to transfer that to God and I'm going to work just as hard. And suddenly he realizes it's not about me. I need his grace even in my strengths. Even in what I can do, I have to have his strengths. Now, now, the, if you're confused, then, then that's fine. No, I'm going to tell you. 
for me to stand up here, because sometimes it's easy to maybe take it to big things and small things, for me to stand up here is nothing but the grace of God. Okay? And I'm going to tell you why. Because if I got a C on any speech in high school, that was one of the proudest days of my life. The world was shocked. I mean, I've t- I'm not going to retell you, you know, the, you know, I touched my nose and all that stuff in front of the whole class. And it, I mean, that was the worst. I would rather do anything. I mean, your, hand, your palms get sweaty. You know, you get all, and, and you're just given a two-minute speech. It was ridiculous. I hated that. So you know what? In my mind, it's nothing but the grace of God because that was, the, that was the thing that I was the worst at in school. The worst was public speaking. So me standing here today looking at you guys, I mean, it's still hard for me to look people in the eye. If you notice, sometimes I'll just look at the wall back there. I'm just glancing over everyone. That's because it's but by the grace of God I even stand here today. Okay? Now that's a big thing. I know that. What about the stuff I can do though? I know I need grace to preach. I know I need that because I can't do that. What about the things I can do? He, I can just do them. I can just do them. What, what about studying for a message? I like studying. I like research. What, what about that fantastic, stunning PowerPoint that has just blown your minds? Let me tell you what. God did not do that. I did that. I mean, that's just mind-blowing right there. When I put it on the computer in the back and the font was changed, who changed it? It was me. You know what? I, I spent hours, when PowerPoint first came out, back in the, I don't even know when, back in the, in the old days, I spent hours fiddling with it. God didn't. And I liked it. I was good at it. I took a class on it at KC and didn't learn one thing. So I already knew it. Okay? So I can do that. You know what I've told Brother Gene before? I, if you need a PowerPoint, just let me know because I can usually put the whole PowerPoint together for Sunday school in about 10 minutes. And, just, and it takes him a little bit longer. You know, he's, <laughs> don't tell him I said that. You know why I told him that? Because I can do that. Now, I, now, Brother Phil, he can create all these other... I can't do that. I need the grace of God for that. But this stuff, man, I can do that. You know what, to, to walk in there and that trash can's full, I can walk in there and take that out. I'm capable of that. We're going to have a staff meeting here later today. I can lead a staff meeting. I can plan a calendar. That's stuff I can do. See, that's where I need to grow in grace. Is it, Lord, I can do that on my own, but I've got to have your grace to do it because it's yet not I. Yet not I. I know I need them in my weaknesses. If God's ever asked you to do something in your weaknesses, you know. Go pray for that. I don't, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not the kind of person to walk up and pray for somebody. I have somebody else's place, that's whatever. And God, if I'm going to do it, I've got to have your help. There you go. Maybe you don't, maybe, maybe you're a good singer even if you weren't in church. Now we know to minister we need his grace. We know to minister, but, but what if I'm good at an instrument anyway? I need his grace in my strengths. And that's what Paul's saying. I could work harder than everybody else because that's who I am. That's who I am. That's who I was before the Lord. Yet not I. I'm not just bringing my gifts over. I need him in every area. And, and let me just say, 
That's easy to say. I need his grace everywhere. That's easy to say. But to operate as Paul does, to say, even in my strengths, Lord, I've got to have your grace. That's the challenge to you and I. Paul realized that grace was not, it was not just for his past, but if he was going to grow in grace, he needed it now. He realized that it wasn't by might or by power, but it's always by his spirit, even when I'm good at it. Paul was a great public speaker. Paul got up on Mars Hill, which was where all the philosophers of the day, that's where they gathered, and he was confident enough to get up amongst the leading world's philosophers and discuss with them. I don't know how many of you would be. I wouldn't be comfortable. He could speak, and and you know what he said? I came not to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. Even the stuff that I could do, I came to you by the Spirit of God. It wasn't might, it wasn't power, it was the Spirit of God. So let me just not challenge you on growing in grace in the big things. Not just in your weaknesses. I know it's His grace when it's something I can't do. Whether it's because I, I, have, I, don't have the physical, I don't have the ability to do that, I don't have the knowledge to do that, or whether I'm just intimidated and I need His grace. I know that. But it's when I recognize that I can't do anything, even the little things, except by His grace. When I recognize His grace in my weaknesses and my strengths. When I do those things and realize that my entire life and everything I do has to be in, uh, followed by the phrase, except for the grace of God. That's when I'm growing in grace. How many of you ever heard that, that phrase, God helps those who help themselves? That's a good one. It should be in the Bible, right? It sounds like it should be. Your parents convinced you it was the way they said it. Like cleanliness is next to godliness. <laughs> Let me just say the only way you could even begin to help yourself is through his grace. It doesn't start with you. God helps those that help themselves. It doesn't start with you. My life, everything I do has to start from the ground, ground rock of grace. That's true humility. When I can say even my strengths are because of his grace, that's true humility. Let's, let's hurry. Like it's a communal thing, like you're keeping me. Let's, let's hurry all together. We'll go real quick. The second way we can grow through grace, so when I acknowledge him in my weaknesses and my strengths, the second way we can grow through grace is through giving. 2 Corinthians 8, 7, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and all diligence and your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church. He's been telling them he's about the Macedonian church, which gave a great love offering. There was the church in Jerusalem at need, and the Macedonian church took up an offering, and they sent to the church in Jerusalem. And he's challenging the Corinthians now to give as well. Giving increases my grace. There's a list of things here. He wants them to abound in all this stuff. See that you abound in this grace, in giving of yourselves, your money, your time. Give in this way also, and this will abound or increase your grace. We're going to go fast now. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul like talks about it, takes a break, and he comes back to it in chapter 9, this offering thing. But this I say, here's some verses we know. He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. Let's take the offering. Hilarious. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always have insufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. So he comes back to this, and we find the connection with our subject, and we say that grace abound towards you. When you give, 
God will make his grace abound towards you. That means I step into more grace as I give undeserved favor to others. They have done nothing for me, yet when I give undeserved favor to others, I find God's undeserved favor. Now, this is interesting because the Corinthian churches, in, in the Corinthians we find the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the body stuff, all that kind of thing, all the ministries, and yet they left this aspect of graceful giving out of their lives. <clears throat> they were used to be, they were uh, uh, being used in ministries, but there was still a point of grace that they had forgotten or not realized. So when I realized that what I have here is undeserved favor, when I realized that all that I have is undeserved favor, that, that everything that I get is not because of my hard work. I didn't get the promotion because of me. <laughs> that one's tough for me. Because it was my work that got me there. It wasn't your hard work. It was the grace of God that got you the raise. It was the grace of God that got you the good deal on the house, the car, whatever it was. It was the grace of God. When I realize that what I have is because of his undeserved favor, then I realize that I can demonstrate that grace by sowing undeserved favor towards others. He that reaps sparingly, if you uh, sow sparingly, will reap sparingly. If you sow grace sparingly, if you sow undeserved favor sparingly, you're not going to get much back in your life. Okay? And, and then my giving, then, this is how. A cheerful giver does not mean somebody that has a smile on their face. <laughs> How many of you ever talked to someone that had a smile on their face and yet you know it wasn't in their heart? <laughs> a cheerful giver means someone who is walking up and recognizes what they're giving is undeserved favor that has been given to them. When I give a special offering to whatever, it's not me giving it, it's his grace that gave it to me anyway. So now I'm cheerful because I'm not even giving away my own stuff. And I'm sowing undeserved favor towards somebody else. Okay, so that's how I get to be cheerful. We're not going to spend much time on it because it's money and we don't have time. Okay, so it, you realize that not everything you have is because of his grace. So you also realize that, that all that they have is because of God's grace. And you're playing a part in what they have. When I'm a cheerful giver, it has nothing to do with the receiver's attitude, but with the giver's attitude. Okay? Now understand, I want to point this verse out real quick too, uh, in 2 Corinthians 8.8, 8, because this is about issues of maturity. You can live for the Lord, you can have a salvation experience and not be a giver. This is about maturity. 2 Corinthians 8.8, 8, this is Paul who sends people's souls to the devil, he's not afraid to condemn you. He says, I speak not by commandment, I'm not ordering you to give this offering, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, look what other people have done, and to prove the sincerity of your love. And then he does this awful thing again. He says, I'm not telling you you've got to give to the church. I'm not telling you you're going to go to hell if you don't give. Here it comes. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He says, you don't have to. This is like what your grandma, my grandma would do to me anyway. You don't have to come see me, but I'm getting very old. And, and... He says, Blake, you don't have to give in this offering. You don't have to. I know it's going for missions. I know it's a good cause. You don't have to give, okay? I know you're over there living in St. Louis and times are rough. You're probably eating out of garbage cans anyway. The only, only time you get anything to eat is when you come home. I know. Just, you know what? Just when you don't give, I want you to think about this. How Jesus Christ gave his life for you, showed grace to you in your life, and how much you have in your life that you don't deserve, but you don't have to give.
That's what Paul does. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You don't have to give. I hate when he does that. It's up to you. You decide what's going on. Okay, so by giving, I increase by giving. All right, we can do it. So he tells them, work out how much you should give by yourself. That's why there's not, we're not going to, we don't say you have to give this much. He just says, think about how much has been given to you and let the Spirit guide you because the Spirit of grace is in me. Grace will speak to me about what I need to give. And then he says, when you do it, do it cheerfully. Last area, grow in grace. So I acknowledge him in my weaknesses and in my strengths when I give to others. And this can be money, time, whatever it is. Whatever grace challenge, that's the great thing, is he leaves it wide open. Whatever grace challenges you in, that's what it is. Give cheerfully. Last thing in how we can grow in grace is through the gifts of God that he's given to you and I. Romans 12 uh, speaks to us about gifts and being part of the body. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and everyone members of another. Whew. Having then gifts different according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. That last one, man, that's the lesson right there. Mercy is is holding back from people what they deserved, and you're supposed to do it cheerfully. Wow. (laughs) I want to give them justice, and yet I'm supposed to hold back and do it with a smile. But that's a gift. Not everyone has that. Thank goodness. No, I'm good. First thing, though, in verse 6, it says, Having then gifts different according to the grace that is given to us. Growing in grace means growing in the gifts that God has gifted me with spiritually. If I want to grow in grace, one way that I can do it is use what God has given me. It's not necessary, it is not necessary to be involved for your salvation. Now, we do have a story of the parable of the talents, where the guy buried it, and didn't do anything, and he was called an evil servant. But I don't have to use the spiritual gifts that God gave me. It's according to to grace. If I want to mature, though, then it needs to be a priority to use what God has given me in my life. I need to realize that to grow in grace, I have to grow in what God has gifted me with. Okay? So that means I should be getting better through His grace. I need to edify and lift up the body through what He has blessed me with. I I, I must realize that there's something that I have to supply to the body. That I was saved and I was saved for a reason. Paul says that I might apprehend that which I was apprehended for. That basically means God saved you for a reason, and Paul's saying, I want to do what God saved me for. Okay? So I've got to realize why God put me in the body, what I can supply if I want to grow in grace. It's not necessary, because you know what? Here's the deal. The church is his bride. And if he wants his bride to have something, they'll have it. So if you won't supply what the bride needs, he'll provide another way for it to happen. But my growth in grace will be stinted, stinted or stunted? Stunted. You'll have stints put in, no, I don't know. There's a few misspellings on the last part of this. My growth in grace will be stunted if I don't use what God has given me. I can sit, he, I can sit in the church and do nothing, but I cannot be mature in grace doing nothing. That's challenging. 
Because it doesn't matter my season of life, what's going on in my life, the circumstances in my life. If I want to grow in grace, I have to use what God has given me, the gifts that he has given me. And unlike the physical body as it ages, your part in the body, it may change. I, 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 there's the whole thing we could go into there. But what you supply to the body, that never ends. It never ends. So while my physical body may be getting old and I can't do the things that I used to do, in the spiritual body, I never quit supplying what's needed. I have to continue to minister to the body through grace. One commentator said this, speaking of the way that we're supposed to use our gifts, that the gifts that God has given us are a communication of grace. That is a phenomenal, when I'm being, when I'm being used in what God has given me, I don't even necessarily, I, I would enjoy if people hear what I have to say and understand because that's important to me in my natural self that people understand what I'm saying. But the most important thing that should be conveyed is that while I'm up here speaking, that you see the grace that God has put in my life. A communication of grace. When I teach a Sunday school class, when I sing, when, I, when I'm playing an instrument, when, when I'm doing whatever job in the church, if I'm helping out with some event, I want people to see the grace of God through what I'm doing. I want what I do to be a communication of grace. Another person said it this way, as all that we have is a matter of grace, everything I've got is because of grace, it should keep us from pride because I realize that anything I've done is not of myself. And it should make us willing to occupy our appropriate place in the church. Grace should make me willing to do whatever I'm supposed to do in church. It consists in rightly discharging the duties which God requires of us in our appropriate spheres. That means in our job, wherever we are, that I'm guided by grace in whatever I'm doing. <clears throat> the grace I receive makes me willing to do that that I'm supposed to do, and it's grace which gives me the power to do it. It doesn't fall to me to accomplish what he called me to do. It falls to his grace. I'm thankful for that. <clears throat> I just have to trust in his grace. That being the case, I need to keep growing in grace because I need him more and more every day. It says grow in grace and the knowledge. The knowledge I get is how much grace I need. And his grace should lead me further into him. Being involved in his kingdom has less to do with you and what you were supposed to do. And me and I can and I can't and this and that. And you know what it really has to do with? His grace. Why should you be involved in the kingdom of God? Because there was a great message preached about it. Because there's a need for it. Because someone convinced you and asked you and you didn't feel like saying no? There we go. <clears throat> no. Simply because of his grace in my life. I'm willing to do it. Let's stand this morning. I pray you've been challenged in some form or fashion to grow in grace today. Amen. Whether it's, whether it's acknowledging not just my weaknesses but my strengths whether it's, it's realizing that what I do in the kingdom of God is dependent and, and, and is based upon the grace of God, whatever it may be this morning, I pray that the word has challenged you. I want us to pray this morning. I want, us, I, I want you to pray with me today. If you want to grow in grace, that the Lord would open your eyes to see where you need to grow in grace in your life. Lord Jesus, we come before you.